What's it, the Cape Drive time? 0829-913-913 is the WhatsApp line. Query, comment, and criticize. What do you think of what's happening in Myanmar? Take a listen and comment. Shocking violence has continued in Myanmar as people have gathered to mourn those killed over the weekend. The bloodiest day of the anti-coup protests since the military seized power from the civilian government of Aung San Kyi in a coup on February the 1st. So far, about 3,000 people from Myanmar's southeastern Karen state fled to neighboring Thailand after the military bombed the area with jets. We now chat to Shabna Mayat, South African human rights lawyer and organizer of Protect the Rohingya. Shabnam, assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the show. Welcome, salam. Thank you very much. One thing that's very clear, I would think, is that um, General Min Ong Kling, uh the dude that uh, was responsible for um, the coup and taking over Myanmar, pretending that it's in the name of democracy, it's quite clear that the people of Myanmar are prepared to pay the highest price in not wanting him to be in power. Yes, and they have been. I mean, the numbers are slowly rising of the dead to up to five hundred, up to the 500 mark very steadily. On Saturday, it was the annual Armed Forces Day, the 76th one, and the military had its normal parades and its talks. You know, in, Amin Aung Lang actually said in his address that the military would protect the people and strive for democracy. Meanwhile, more than 2,400 have been detained. As you said, there are airstrikes over ethnic areas. There are refugees trying to cross borders into India who are being pushed back and into Thailand and there's a bit of a media blackout there and the numbers keep rising and yet the protesters go out into the streets every day. It's almost eight weeks now starting from the 1st of February uh, and they are risking their lives and they are protesting so creatively. Yeah, tell me how they're being uh, creative in their protests. Um, what I've been picking up is that they've actually been fighting the army but in rather interesting ways. Just tell us more. So um, most of these are Generation Z and they're under 25 years old, so they've been using social media. There have been various groups, whether it's doctors, construction workers, bodybuilders, students, lawyers. They've been using, um, you know, putting like pictures of Minang lying on the floor where so it's considered disrespectful, so soldiers wouldn't step on it. And these were all these peaceful kind of actions they were taking before the military turned violent. Now it's more like trying to block streets, block roads, uh, trying to keep neighborhood watches on their areas because they are night raids by the military, finding alternative solutions to the internet blockout, using VPNs and uh, SMSs and calls to certain areas on an hourly basis for updates on what's happening. So the protesters are, are working their way around it. They're also trying to raise funds um, you know, for those who have not been going to work. Banks were shut down. There were random car breakdowns all over the city at specific times, uh, release of balloons, like all all sorts of really, you know, alternative methods to protest. The last few weeks, of course, have turned extremely violent, and the numbers are increasing. And the worst part is that military have been shooting into homes, killing children who are just sitting on their parents' laps, for example. Yeah, I mean, no rubber bullets here. This live ammunition that's being used in this particular scenario, which uh, makes it that much more shocking and that much more of an infringement of uh, international law and basic human rights. Exactly. And actually, uh, the chiefs of defense of 12 countries actually condemned Myanmar's military for the deadly crackdown this weekend. 
and saying that professional militaries follow um, international standards and they protect uh, the people that they serve and Myanmar's military should really look at that. So it, it's interesting because the international community is taking more steps than they did during the Rohingya genocide. Last Wednesday, the U.S. sanctioned the Myanmar Economics Holdings Limited and the Myanmar Economics Corporation, two of the biggest military conglomerates in the country, um, and their sanctions by the EU, by the U.K. as well. Uh, New Zealand, of course, banning travel and high-level talks. And the most important thing, of course, is the RV sanctions, because we have to hit the military where it counts, and that's the oil and gas revenues and all the business, all the way from beer to gems to cigarettes to telecoms that the military is involved in. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's face it, I, I think the reason for the coup was that uh, I think uh, General Min and Klein uh, could, saw after the elections that um, uh, the people didn't want the military anymore, that it was basically um, a finger to the military to, to leave the room, as it were. And to me, it seems as if the military have panicked, and in their panic, they've actually completely and utterly lost the plot. And they seem to be trying to isolate the country. And, and this is interesting because also, you know, the government was supposed to sit on the 1st of February, and that's when the coup happened. And so now the parallel government, the CPRH, is having meetings with um, ethnic minority leaders. They're working on speaking to the international community. Protesters are calling for a federal army. So, so there's a lot happening on the ground. And uh, I think this parallel government is very important because at the end of the day, a country needs to run and they're looking forward to do it like they're looking forward and thinking about what will happen in the future and they're really um, taking interesting strides and interesting statements recognizing the Rohingya calling for accountability so it is really interesting what's happening but everything is moving at such a fast pace no it, it, it certainly is um I almost get the impression I'm going to wake up one morning and it's going to be a different country. I mean, that certainly, I think, is, it would be a win-win scenario. But um, in going through this process, uh, to say that it's painful, I think, is a complete understatement. Mm -hmm. But there's another thing which worries me, and that is that Russia and China are very quick to veto uh, any motions, for example, in the UN Security Council that the military in Myanmar have still got a few skirts that they can go and hide behind. But I think this is where all the other nations come in. And if more nations in the international community come forward and establish very uh, severe focused sanctions on the military and call for an international arms embargo, because must remember, every single nation who is selling arms to Myanmar at this point is selling arms for the Myanmar military to use on um, civilians. And it was a very interesting comment that one of the analysts made. They said that Myanmar, towns in Myanmar, are looking like an active war zone, but it's pretty clear that only one side is armed. And so I think this is very important. And maybe earlier on, the U.S. and other countries, when the country started moving towards democracy, were too quick to drop that arms embargo. Yeah, I mean, an arms embargo, I think, right now, is probably the wisest thing that can be done to stop the bullets uh, from killing civilians. Uh, in, in that country. What is also interesting me is it seems as if um, even although people like Aung San Kyi got voted in, that there seems to be another kind of sentiment that's rising up from the people of Myanmar, which doesn't even dovetail 
with the government that Aung San Chi was um, in charge of. It seems as if the people are a lot more perhaps tolerant, more forgiving of understanding the Rohingya situation than what the so-called democratic government was before the coup. I think people are realizing that, you know what, the same military, like the 33rd Infantry Light Division, who was brought out into the streets during these protests uh, to attack civilians, were the same ones that were used during the military crackdown, for example, against the Rohingya. And people are realizing that they were silent, perhaps brainwashed, maybe they didn't understand what was happening, but that their silence, most importantly, did not save them. Yes, that genocide happened, but they're being attacked um, and cracked down on in very similar ways now. And I think that has opened their eyes and also of course um, the fact that all the ethnic minorities who for five decades are used to the brutality of the military are standing up with the protesters and also you know having joint talks and standing together I think that's making all of the difference of course um, you know it doesn't change what happened to the Rohingya it doesn't change the discriminatory laws that are still applying to the Rohingya in the country one can only hope that these protesters and the new parallel government um, will, will work towards changing the plight of the Rohingya both in the country and outside. Do you think um, being a lot more human rights friendly on the Rohingya situation is going to be one of the conditionals for this parallel government? Because I'm pretty sure uh, sooner or later it is going to be the government that will be in power in Myanmar because the military right now is on a mission suicide I think that it's not going to be an option because they've already been having talks with various ethnic minority leaders as well as Rohingya personalities. And so that is the only way to move forward. And I think that they're realizing that a coalition and protesters across the board, whether they're Muslim, Christian, whether they're construction workers, farm laborers, lawyers, doctors, I mean, they literally brought the entire country to a shutdown. They closed down the banks, they closed down the trains. And I think they're realizing more and more that this military needs to go they don't want it but also that they can only do it um, working together and of course for the military it's a hard pull to swallow because let's face it um, they've had everything their own way all the way even with the the new government and the so-called democratic elections that were held I mean they held all the important positions in government ministry of defense and ministry of foreign affairs I mean they still had a major stranglehold on power Exactly. And uh, that's why someone made an interesting comment, uh, you know, in the weeks um, after the coup, saying that we don't want a return to the rule of law in Myanmar, because the rule of law would be the 2008 military constitution, and we need that to change. When you look at the laws, um, you know, under which they're holding journalists and dissenters, um, after the coup, there were actually people had to go back to the old laws, where if someone was staying at your home overnight, you had to record that with the authorities. Um, at night, there's been these uh, internet shutdowns at night. They let out 23,000 prisoners, um, some say to make space in the prisons for protesters. Then um, last week, around 600 of the 2,500 arrested, or maybe more, were released. But the reality is most of those released were students who were arrested during the protests. The ones who were released initially in the 23,000, those were thugs, and a lot of those were going around, uh, you know, neighborhoods terrorizing people people and causing trouble within the protesters. So the military is going back to all its old tactics, and, and that is the scary part. No, it is. I mean, my hair stood on, stood on end 
when I saw that the junta had released uh, 23,000 thugs uh, into the streets of, of the country's cities, because that to me, as you've just correctly said, was a deliberate tactic to destabilize in the country. And of course, very conveniently, it left uh, 23,000 uh, cells uh, that could be used uh, for civilian protesters. Mm-hmm. Shabnam, how long can this thing endure? Because I've got a feeling that we are fast coming to some kind of a breaking point. Well, you know, no one even thought it would make it through the initial week. And look at us now, we're almost in week eight. And the protesters show no sign of giving up. And these protesters themselves, you know, these civilians know for 50 years how it's been to live under a military dictatorship, and they definitely don't want to go back. So I think from our side, what we need to do is keep supporting and especially putting pressure on our government to support the protesters. And of course, for the international community not to do trade um, with the Myanmar military, the Burma Campaign UK, as well as Justice for Myanmar, on their websites have lists up. Burma Campaign UK calls theirs a dirty list, and basically it's well-researched, and it looks at companies, whether it's electronic, whether it's clothing, all, um, you know, they've, they've done the research and they've put up the names of these companies, and maybe we can try as individuals and as organizations not to do trade with those and not to buy products from those companies. Um, can you remember some of these big companies that are still doing business with Myanmar, or is that just too much of a difficult recall? Um, I, I know um, Apple was on there. Um, they're also looking at some of the clothing brands. I'm not sure if it was Adidas and Zara. Um, some of the brands we don't really get in South Africa. There was Karen Beer. There were some jewelry houses. And, and so all of these, um, a lot of them are overseas. There are some of them that we get here as well. But as the days go, they've been adding to that. So perhaps just for listeners to go and have a look there, because that's in our own personal way, you know, in our personal capacity, something that we can do. And also just to put pressure on South Africa, not to do trade with Myanmar, and perhaps to put uh, pressure on other countries um, who we are friends with that are doing trade with Myanmar. And of course, when it comes to the situation in Myanmar, South Africa, we have to hang our heads in shame because there was a UN Security Council vote and we didn't come out with, uh, uh, with, with halos over our heads. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people often say it's because of our BRICS relationship with China and Russia that we are keeping quiet. But South Africa as a soft moral power needs to do better than that. And I hope that we will do better than that. Indeed, Shabnam Mayet, organizer, protect the Rohingya, talking to us about the situation in Myanmar. Uh, Close to 500 dead, and of course these estimates are always estimates because there's no news that's coming out that uh, is accurate because of the situation and people protesting for weeks against uh, Min Ong Klang, the general, and I'm pronouncing his name incorrectly, I know, who took power in a coup after a general election there. Shabnam, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Drive time 90.